If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. Yeah, it's got that tone to it, but it's the right tone for a new series that we are beginning today called Different. And it's a challenging series. We're going to be in it three weeks. It's a challenge to me because we're going to be looking at the little letter written by Peter and trying to cover a lot of important themes, kind of highlights really of that entire letter as we jump in. But it's a challenge to all of us because we're hitting an issue where we're called to live out a life that's completely different than the pattern that's in this world. And so to jump into that challenge, I'm gonna ask for your help. Here's our series description. Some of the themes come through with similar phrases perhaps that you heard, but I wanted to kind of sink into us. So would you read this out loud with me? In this world, we will have struggles. We will face opposition. We will be challenged. And there's a reason for that. This world is not our home. Jesus calls us to answer hate with love, find joy in the midst of difficulties, and rely on a strength beyond ourselves. Jesus called us to be different. And so this is a calling from Jesus. This is the pattern that we're to get a hold of. And really, we need to embrace this difference, and yet uh, it's a struggle for so many of us. We're going to be in three topics. The topic today is this, different values in an unholy culture. So there's a clash of values as we live in this culture, and uh, we're going to be looking at how history and the clash of values then will encourage us in the clash of values that we're facing right now. So Peter wrote this little letter. Uh, somewhere between A.D. 60 and A.D. 65 is, is a good guess. And there's some interesting features of the letter that will help us pinpoint where, but there's not a unanimous agreement among scholars. I'll tell you my opinion as we get going. We're going to jump into a key verse from this little letter. And here's the key verse in chapter 4. Now, these letters don't have chapters and verses. That's just for us to be able to look up stuff quickly. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now that phrase, fiery ordeal, may be very specifically chosen because of the events of history. That's my personal opinion. But even if Peter was choosing it more like what he's going to talk about a little later as uh, metal being tested by fire in more of a generic way. It's really interesting that these phrases are picked up because of the historical context. Peter is writing during a regime of a very evil em emperor in Rome. He was in charge of all of the area, including Judea. Peter was a leader in the early church movement 
um, one of the first followers of Jesus, one of the original 12, his name wasn't Peter, his name was Simon. Jesus renamed him Cephas in the Aramaic, which translates into Greek, Petros, which both words mean rock. And so he was an unstable guy that Jesus says, you're going to become the stable guy and he's going to be the leader of the church. And he did lead the church in Jerusalem and the persecution, the difficulty that came to the Christians at first were from the Jewish sector looking at this new movement as suspicious. Peter and Paul and others took the movement beyond Judaism into the uttermost parts of the world. Well, they did this because Jesus asked them to. So Peter finds himself in Rome, and he writes this letter to Gentile churches mostly. There's some Jews in them as well, but in the Gentile regions, he writes a letter, and he's encouraging them because he knows things are about to heat up. Fiery ordeal. They're going to heat up again, not just for people in a Jewish context. Now it's starting to heat up in a Gentile context. So I want to tell you some background. Nero, he was a wicked emperor. How wicked? Well, he had his mother murdered. That's pretty bad. He then married Octavia. And when he wanted to marry somebody else, he had Octavia murdered. That's pretty bad. He had other siblings murdered to secure his own position in power. He was wicked in many, many ways. But don't take my word for it. We'll take a look at a Roman historian writing in that day by the name of Tacitus. And which is interesting is he writes about a particular fire. It happened in the year 64. And in Rome, the city burned out of control for a week, was put out, and then started up and burned again. And all the suspicion started to be heaped upon Nero as having started that fire. And some historians believe that that suspicion was warranted because he had this insatiable appetite to build, and he wanted to build his palace larger, and he was hemmed in. And so if you just burn the place, you got lots of room to build a larger palace. And so the people were heaping accusations on Nero. Now, listen to who Nero blames for the fire as the Roman historian. This is not from the Bible. This is not from a believer. This is from a Roman historian who does not believe in the things that the Christian movement believes in. Listen up. This is from Tacitus, the Roman historian. Hence, to suppress the rumor, says Tacitus, he, that is Nero, falsely charged with the guilt and punished with the most exquisite tortures the persons commonly called Christians, who are hated for their enormities. Christus, and this, he spelled it wrong, Christus, it's a misspelling of Christos, Christ in the Greek, and he's a uh, Latin writer, writing in Latin. Christus, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius, but the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out again, not only throughout Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also, whither all things horrible and disgraceful flow from all quarters as to a common receptacle, and where they are encouraged. Accordingly, first, three were seized, who confessed they were Christians. Next, on their information, a vast multitude were convicted, not so much on the charge of burning the city as of hating the human race. And in their deaths, they were also made the subjects 
of sport, for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs, or nailed to crosses, or set fire to. And when day declined, burned to serve as nocturnal lights, Nero offered his own gardens for that spectacle. Now, this is ancient history. It's really happened. You've heard of Nero probably. You've heard of Nero even uh, fiddling on his fiddle over this burning city of Rome. And whether that's true or not, there's agreement and disagreement depending on who you talk to. He was a musician. He did play the fiddle. He was an athlete. He was a pretty uh, powerful leading politician able to do lots of things, but he was wicked to the core. So wicked was he, there's usually a wicked end to those who are that dark, and he committed suicide in AD 68. So it kind of narrows down the scope of when this little letter was written by Peter. A little bit more about this letter. Peter signs off this letter, it's just a few pages long, so I'd encourage you, while we're in this for three weeks, I would read this letter over and over and over again. You're going to find some really encouraging pieces of advice and truths that you will want to hang on to. Here's why. Things are heating up for us here too. Our values are in a clash with the values of the world. Things are not as hard or hot here as they were and are in other countries. Right now, we're going to look at this in a little bit more depth on the third week. Right now, most people agree that the persecution is hottest and fiercest and the worst it's ever been in this time on the globe than ever. Now, just in case you didn't catch it, Nero, he had Christians dipped into wax, they didn't get into that detail, and tied to trees and lit while alive to serve as human torches while he put on parties in his gardens. And he tied up Christians in bloody skins of animals, put them in these uh, arenas or cages and set loose hungry packs of dogs who ate them alive before an audience. He was that kind of person. Peter himself eventually was martyred during Nero's regime and so was Paul. And Peter died in 68. So it narrows down the scope of when he wrote. Now, the oddity about this letter is that when he writes this letter, you don't get the impression that it's now an empire-wide official persecution yet, but that's what it became. And so you, you have to figure backing up the letter before it's an empire-wide persecution. I happen to believe the fire took place, things are heating up, it hasn't become empire-wide official persecution yet, but he sees it coming and he writes these kinds of words, to encourage, now that might sound funny, to encourage the followers of Jesus. Now, I run into a lot of followers of Jesus who are not encouraged by this kind of message. Okay? But it should be encouraging. I run into a lot of followers of Jesus who think, why are people suffering? I don't get it. If God is in control and he loves us so much, why is he letting this happen? Hold on. We're missing something here. We're not listening to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, they hated me, they will hate you too. Jesus said that in this world there will be trouble, but I have overcome the world. You follow me. And he expects it to get hot and heated and that's the world in which Peter is writing. So we need to get the encouragement because guess what? As this history touches our story, we will learn 
valuable information about what to do when we hit problems. Oh, how many of you, by the way, have experienced difficulty in the past? <laughs> oh, how many of you, by the way, have experienced and are experiencing right now some kind of difficulty? And how many expect that in the future you will face difficulty? Okay, so that about does it. This letter is very, very important. We need to look at this letter and understand how do we live in this difficulty and still trust Jesus and follow him and be able to not be surprised by difficulty and see it as a testing that actually strengthens us and be encouraged by it. So that's what this is about. Ready to dive in? Let's begin at the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1, here's how the letter begins. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I already let you know that the Gentile churches were located in this Gentile region. This is not predominantly a Jewish region. This is a Gentile region where all these believers and churches had started up because of the missionary efforts of Paul and others. And He's writing to encourage them, and at the tail end of the letter, did I already go into this? I've preached twice, I forget sometimes. The tail end of the letter, he does this little interesting thing where he says this cryptic reference. He says, me and my secretary, he doesn't refer to him as secretary, Silvanus or Silas, depending on the translation, uh, greet you from Babylon. This is really interesting because Babylon is no more. It's in crumbles. It's in ruins. There's no political place called Babylon at the time. But he uses it as a symbol because that particular evil regime and evil city was where the Jewish people were taken into exile. And they became foreigners and they were aliens in Babylon. Now he's saying, you, Christians, we are writing from the heart of darkness, from Babylon itself. But he uses a cryptic symbol to refer to Rome. John does the same. They're protecting their identity. They're protecting their location. They don't want to be uh, hung out to dry for being over, trying to overthrow Rome. They're just trying to protect the Christians. Here's what's coming. It's getting hot. It's just like Babylon. Foreigners. The word foreigners is this word. You don't have to know how to pronounce it because actually ancient Greece, we don't, Greek, we don't know how it's pronounced. It changes in pronunciation over the years. Just like ancient English, you ever heard somebody try to read ancient English? It's like, that seems like another language. But the word here is parapidemois, which is translated exiles, sojourners, aliens, strangers, foreigners, and guess what? We need to own this. We need to see this as a label that describes us because this world is not my home. I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger. I'm just passing through. You may view me as an alien. You may think that my values are foreign. You may think that I'm strange. You may think that the things that I believe are weird and off, but I like the phrase, everybody is somebody's weirdo. <laughs> Whose weirdo are you? And so when you have a culture that looks at your values as weird, the danger is to try to fit in rather than to be foreign. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You deny yourself. Don't try to fit in. You follow me. You're a foreigner. You're in exile. Gentiles, by the way, said, wait, you're calling us in exile, a foreigner, just like you called the chosen people of God? And all through this letter, Peter is calling the Gentile believers the same labels that Jewish believers who are the chosen people. You now are the chosen people. We're going, yes, 
We have a future. Things are going to be rough, but my forever is secure in Jesus, and I have been chosen. And so own this word where you're a foreigner. You don't fit in. It's okay. Be encouraged. Point number one. How God uses difficulties. we got to get a hold of this because he does. He uses difficulties. How God uses difficulties. A on your outline, if you like to take notes and write stuff down, is this, to reveal your faith. We continue on that first page of his letter that reads this way. So be truly glad. <coughs> Say what? People are dying. People are being burned at the stake. People are being human torches. And you're saying, be truly glad? We got to get a hold of this. This is really foreign. I serve a master who was crucified, who absorbed the darkness, my darkness, into himself and took it far away so that when he was resurrected, he could release light and life and the Holy Spirit into my very being. I serve that guy. You can't kill me anymore because you couldn't kill him. Light is inside of me and I'm going to live forever. It's okay. Be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. All across America into our comfort, religiosity, as soon as we're uncomfortable, we begin to think, has God forsaken us? No. No. He uses difficulties. Trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. We'll get back to that in a moment. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. So he's comparing gold to our faith. Now, just in case you're not real familiar with metallurgy, and I'm not, in metallurgy, you take all the hunks of stuff that gold is laced in, you put it in the crucible, you heat that crucible up really, really hot, and the person who's working the metal observes and heats it and heats it, and then as it melts, the dross, the impurities, rises to the surface, and it's a very uh, ugly look. He scoops off the dross, but not the gold, scoops off the dross until it's just crystal clear, pure golden until he sees the reflection of his own face in the gold. Do you see the parallel? In your faith as it's being heated up and the impurities are removed off and it's proving the genuine faith is showing through, it looks like the faith of Jesus and Jesus sees his own image in you and as soon as he sees that, it's perfect and holy faith that now he can shut the heat down because it's doing its job, okay? Here's what we want. Yes, I pray, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Save me, help me to be a good person. Yay, perfect. I was a really lousy husband, now I'm everybody's dream, (laughs) right? I'm a really lousy father, but now that I accepted Jesus, I am the idol of fatherhood that everybody should emulate. Does it work like that? No, and that's why we talk about we are a church to help people move from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. And it's not, boom, instantaneous. He he has to sometimes use tough things and difficulties to bring out a genuine faith response where we're looking to him to make those changes. We're going to talk about tough stuff today. We're going to talk about being different. And guess what? This never works. I'm going to be different. I'm going to try harder to be different today. 
I'm going to be this person today. You might keep it up for a moment, but nothing inside has changed. And so the pathway of being different to be like Jesus is not by trying harder. That pathway is through trial and through drawing near with a genuine faith to the Jesus that you love and that love transferring and and changing your perspective and how you view all of life and things change inside as you become more like Jesus. I've never seen it instantaneous. I've seen it rapidly in a lot of people who are doing all they can to draw near to Jesus, draw near to Jesus, love Jesus, worship Jesus, come to Jesus in everything they see and think and do. They grow rapidly, but it's never instantaneous. Now, this phrase, to show that your faith is genuine, it scares me a little bit because I believe that a lot of people think they are followers of Jesus and they believe in Jesus, but if trouble comes their way and they're going, whoa, I don't know if I believe in God anymore, doesn't that show that that faith is not even genuine? To show that their faith is genuine. So here's a reflective question. If your faith is only strong when everything is going your way, what does that reveal? Well, it might reveal that you still have some heat to go through, some impurities to be removed, some drawing closer to Jesus to take place, or it might just show that you were a fan of Jesus, but you're not a follower. You're not even in the game. You're just watching, and you kind of want to be associated with this Jesus thing, but you haven't really allowed the light and life of Jesus to enter in and change you. Be on your outline how God uses difficulties. We looked at to reveal your faith, B, now to draw you closer. Jumping to verse 8, to draw you closer. He's talking to these Gentile struggling Christians. You love him. The context is Jesus. You love Jesus even though you have never seen him, and they never had. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy Things are tough, but you trust him. It's glorious. It's inexpressible joy. Now, I'm ready for good news. Are you ready for good news? We're talking about hard stuff. Two of you. Anybody else ready for good news? All right. We're, here's the good news. This is the gospel. The good news isn't that, we, that he saves you from your suffering. The good news is that he saves you from your sin. And so we have this future where the suffering will be removed, but he's saying, expect it now. Expect the suffering. This isn't heaven yet. Okay? And so that's a good place to make sure we fit a framework. Here's a reflection. What difficulty are you facing right now? Remember, your faith is not in what you see. Your faith is in Jesus who suffered for you and called you to follow him. A decision to trust him through difficulty will draw you closer and strengthen you. Then he can use your experience to strengthen others. So if you've been through a difficulty that challenges your faith, you have an option. You have an option of drawing back from God, not trusting him, feeling like he's letting you down. Your faith will weaken. Or you have the option of drawing closer to him, trusting him though you don't understand 
which is part of the program. We can't see behind the scenes. We can't see the whys. We can't see the how longs. We don't understand sometimes, but there's somebody that we do not see who we do trust. Faith is not in what you see. Faith is in who you trust. And Jesus came through it all and says, follow me, I'll bring you through. And that's what it's about. Point number two, God gave you different values. Let's take a look at that from his letter. Peter writes in verse 13 through 16, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, let your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming, that just fascinates me because so much of what our faith is, we reflect on what Jesus did, what Jesus did, what Jesus did. You know what? What my mom did is give birth to me, but that doesn't really motivate me for my future. What motivates me for my future is who I'm becoming. And future grace is coming. And future is what motivates us for our future. Hang on to the future. Jesus Christ is victorious and he's coming back. He's the victor and he's going to take us through. He's going to be there for you. That's our future. The past is great too, what he's done for me. But this is the future. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had. Next when you lived in ignorance. Again, these are the Gentiles. They weren't taught the ways of God. They, weren't, they were just taught, anything goes, do whatever you want. In fact, the gods say this, so I'm going to follow the other gods and do whatever I want. Whatever makes me feel happy, that's what I'm going to do. That's my calling in life, to be happy. So I'll choose happy all the time. Nope, not according to Peter, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The word holy comes from the word hagios, holy, set apart, different, pure. Again, I don't think we're going to be holy instantaneously. In fact, here's a reflect. God didn't say your highest calling is to be happy. Your calling is to be holy. Don't let your desire to be happy undermine your calling to be holy. All across the nation today, I see happy being people's highest calling. And when it comes right down to it, they'll choose whatever they think is making them happy, and they'll reinterpret everything about what they thought before, and they say, well, God, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. So obviously, this is God's will. And they call the very sin that they think that the sin is going to make them happy as God's will, and that is just flat wrong. Don't undermine holy with your view of happy. That's thinking like people of ignorance. God says, if you'll aim for holy and sacrifice your happy right now in order to be holy, you're going to be happier. There is no doubt about it. Follow Jesus. It will be harder, but you will be happier. Don't build your life on this feelings thing. I feel like I want to do this because I'll be happy if I do this. Build it on truth and on the character of Jesus to be like Jesus, and you're going to be happier in the long run. Point number three, God's values are foreign to this world. Verse 17 Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners 
here in reverent fear. Here's a reflect. God does not call us to fit in. He calls us to stand out, to look like Jesus. Jesus did not fit in and they crucified him because they didn't fit their box of what it looked like to be Messiah. We're to follow Jesus and he says, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Quit trying to fit into the world and be liked by everybody. Follow me. Stand out. Peter wrote in verse 14. We read it in a different translation. We'll read it again. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. And we do this. I do this. I slip into this is what will make me happy. And then those choices, usually in the long run, don't make me happy. I just slip into that. But you know what never happens? You never go, oh, I just slipped into holy. It just never happens that way. You never slip into holy. You slip into backwards stuff, falling stuff, but you never slip into going in the right direction. That's more intentional. And it's, like I said, not trying harder. It's drawing nearer to Jesus, hearing his words, making his thoughts your thoughts, filling your thoughts so much that you start to think the way he thinks. His perspective becomes your perspective. His truth starts to bubble inside of you so much that it cleans out the junk where the lies are exposed and you start living out light and truth and shining where before you're just walking in the slip darkness and there you go. So holiness is not something you achieve. If you've been trying to be holy, good luck. Doesn't happen that way. It's something you receive. So I wake up every morning opening my heart before God to receive more, to receive more grace, to receive more holiness, to receive more of Jesus, to be filled by his spirit, to allow him to do more inside and with me. It's something you receive by grace through intimacy with Jesus. Draw near, put your ear to his chest, hear his heartbeat. Draw near, just say more, more, more. Worship, trust him, love him, receive from him. Here's how I'd like to finish today. It's a simple prayer asking Jesus to give you more of his holiness. If you don't mind praying something like that, let's just stand together and pray this out loud together. Maybe you're not sure about this Jesus thing, but you just heard me read from history. He's real. He's real in history. And he's made some amazing claims. Maybe there's something inside of you that wants to pray this and see where it goes. Can I trust him? Can I walk with him? Let's pray this out loud together. Dear God, you are holy. I am not. I need a savior. Jesus, I come to you. I repent and invite you to fill me with more of you. I need your saving grace. I want to be more like you. Wash me clean and fill me with everything I need to be more like you. Jesus, thank you for being with us and for being worth it. Amen. Things are heating up, folks. We need Jesus. And so I hope you'll want to come back next week too as we look at a different calling, powerful message. I hope that you'll come. And if you have any problems today and you're not having a small group to, to pray for you. This is a perfect time. Have somebody pray for you. Don't do life alone. Be a, coming up to the stage here. Find somebody to pray for the thing that you're carrying. It's too heavy to go carry it all alone. God bless. See you next week.